Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all your sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. So head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use your promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Carne Asada this week is the director of communications for the Oklahoma City Dodgers, Alex Friedman. Alex, ¿cómo estás, amigo? My Spanish isn't great, probably not as good as it should be, but I know what you're asking me. I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so not only are you the director of communications, Alex, you're also a broadcaster for the OKC Dodgers, right? That is correct, yes. So you're a man who wears many hats. I want to get into that later on about sure. the minor league life and how uh, you don't have the same resources as the big leagues. But I want to start off with this, and that is it seems like the big club has made a commitment to the young guys. So the young guys are guys that you got to see last year firsthand. And we're talking about Bobby Miller. We're talking about Gavin Stone, uh, Miguel Vargas, Michael Bush, uh, uh James Outman, uh, what do you think? Do you think it's it, these guys are ready? I mean, we already saw Vargas go up there, but what about these other guys? Well, when people ask me this question, you know, one of my standard answers is there's only a way to find out if they're ready, and that's to let them play at the big league level. Um, when certain guys have proved themselves to a certain extent at AAA where there really is nothing else left to prove, that you know they can handle that level. Um, Player development does not stop in the minor leagues. You know, we hear the term player development and think it is synonymous with the minor leagues, uh, but it's not. Player development continues in the major leagues as well. And of course, you're in a little bit of a different situation uh, with the Dodgers than say you are with some of the teams near the bottom of the major leagues where they can get those young guys to play and maybe not be as concerned about wins and losses. Well, the Dodgers contend year after year after year. So it is a fine balance that they have to strike. Um, but I think if you're able to give them a chance to play, uh, you do it early enough on in the season where, okay, maybe things don't go the way you hope. You still have plenty of time to change course. So um, I know that's not really exactly an answer to your question, but a lot of those guys have shown that they've – they're too good for the AAA level, and, and they're still going to get out at the AAA level. No one's going to put up Bonzi in numbers at the AAA level or, or anything like that, but, but they need a chance to be tested at a higher level. So I want to start with Miguel Vargas. Uh, so he got called up towards the end of the season, but uh, you know there was projections that he was either going to be a third baseman, he was going to be a first baseman. 
Do you guys down in OKC kind of follow that same model that the Dodgers uh, follow at the major league level in the sense that they seem to really have a preference for players who can play multiple positions? So I think Miguel Vargas actually spent some time in the outfield uh, last year, right? So defensively, what are you seeing from Miguel Vargas? Well, I think just defensively as a whole, when you are a major league franchise like the Los Angeles Dodgers, where you have at a lot of positions, I know things are maybe a little bit unclear right now in the free agency period, but under normal circumstances, you have guys that are entrenched at one position every single day. Um, so guys who are in the minor leagues need to develop that versatility because, you know, say if it was the case of, of Ryan Nota, who just got taken by the Oakland A's. It's not a slight on Noda that he got taken. His problem was there was a guy named Freddie Freeman playing first base and is going to play first base up there for the Los Angeles Dodgers for a long time. And we've seen that through for a different, a lot of different players, whether it was, you know, whether it's going to be Mookie Betts, whether it's, you know, the recent past, Trey Turner, Cody Bellinger. The only way to really kind of crack their way to be able to get to the big leagues is to play multiple positions so they can fill in here and there. Now, with to, to Vargas specifically, I felt that he got better defensively as the season went on at third base. Like you said, they started mixing in some left field, and, and they had the outfield coordinator, Jason Bourgeois, come to town to really start to work with them. And, and I had a really nice conversation uh, at one point with, with Jason about Miguel Vargas's progress in left field. He says he's, he's got the athleticism to do it. Um, it's just you know, going through those scenarios every single, you know, before every single pitch, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do there? Using BP time as his chance to really lock in and get a feel for what he needs to do in the outfield. Um, I, I think that the, the baseball acumen, the arm is going to be there for him to, to be playable, at the very least uh, in the major leagues. You know, but something else that, that you kind of asked about was, you know, how, how are guys positioned defensively, you know, in, in AAA? And a lot of it is coming from, from the front office, the major league front office and the player development staff. When, when they want to try certain guys at certain positions or they'll tell our manager, Travis Barbary, hey, this guy needs to play at this possession or this position X days per week. Um, so it, it could be something that, again, a promotion is imminent, or it could be just to, to try something different and, and see what somebody's got. So um, I want to move on to Michael Bush. Uh, Michael Bush was a guy that we always had heard was a top prospect. It seemed every at the beginning the projection was second base, but Michael Bush was also another guy who we saw play different positions last year, correct, uh, down in the in the minor leagues. How far do you see uh, Bush's development? Is it just like what you had mentioned, he's just blocked and that's why we didn't see him last year like we saw Vargas? Or is it just that Vargas was ahead of Bush in terms of progress? Well, I think in terms of last year, the Dodgers had, the big league level, had a very left-handed heavy hitting lineup. And you heard it throughout, whether it was Dave Roberts, Andrew Friedman say, we need a right-handed bat, specifically a right-handed hitting outfielder. Yes, they did get Trace Thompson as well, um, but Vargas, just by based on his hand in this, kind of felt that. And I think that the pure hit tool for Vargas is, is ahead of Bush. Bush has more power, um, but the pure hit tool is, is there for Vargas. Now, in terms of you know Michael Bush and his offensive profile, yeah, he certainly had a, a pretty good season. You know, it's going to be one of those. I don't want to say three true outcome types, but but there's going to be 
a decent amount of strikeouts. There's going to be a good amount of walks, but there's going to be a good amount of power as well. Um, I think the thing that really does not get talked enough about Michael Bush after watching him for basically an entire season is his athleticism. Um, it really doesn't seem like you see that in the scouting reports from MLB Pipeline, Baseball America. That's something that really stood out to me um, and why I think, you know, he has a chance to stay at second base. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how he plays now under these new shift rules as well. Um, but you have to consider that under the old shift rules, even though he was a second baseman, he had to play left to second base a lot of the time as well. Uh, for certain right-handed pull hitters, and he would handle it just fine or, or making that play out in shallow right field against the left-handed pull hitters. So I think his defensive versatility and his athleticism gets a little bit overlooked. Uh, I want to ask you about James Outman uh, because we, we had him on the show, and, of course, he had that great debut with the big club. But the, my biggest memory of Outman was when he got sent down and then he hit that ball into outer space, I think his first game back in, in, into the minor leagues. You know, I asked, we asked him on the show, I was like, man, are, are you past? I mean, how do you cope with you've got a taste of the big show and now you get sent down? And it's not like you were sent down because of a performance issue. It was just a numbers game. Like, how realistic of a chance do we do, does James Outman have of of seeing some more time next year, maybe longer time? And you see these guys every day. How do they react? How do they feel after getting a taste of the big leagues and then coming back down to reality? Well, I think it depends on the situation. Whereas James Outman, it was probably knew from the outset it was temporary because of an injury. And, you know, I think if you were to give him two options to go up for a week, do really well, go up to a week, not do really well, knowing you were going to go sent back down anyway, of course you're going to take the option you do really well. It's a confidence boost. And, and you reference that game in Salt Lake. Yeah, his first game in Salt Lake where he obliterated the ball. Unfortunately, he also fouled the ball off his foot later in that game and like kind of a lingering injury that, that had him down for a couple of weeks after that. But but in terms of this year moving forward, I mean, the day we record this year in mid-December, you look at the way the roster is constructed, he's definitely going to get some some chances and some ABs for sure. Definitely is in the outfield mix, you know, to, to be, whether it's a fourth outfielder or a starter, um, you know, that's that we know the organization is high on him. You know, his, he has been, you know, he was a, a tools over finished product guy when he was drafted. And, you know, he got added to the 40-man roster you know, last year in which, you know, his numbers were, were good and they've just gotten better and better and better as he's gone on. But but I'm not sure he would have been, for a lot of people, slam dunk, you know, 40-man ad last season. So obviously the organization is high on him and for good reason. You know, we talked about Michael Bush and his athleticism. Well, James Outman's athleticism doesn't get overlooked. You know, this guy is an athlete uh, for sure and, you know, a good player. And like we said, he's you know, deserves a lot of credit. He deflects a lot of credit to the Dodgers and the player development staff that, that's taken him from, from a really raw, unfinished product to, to now a major leaguer. Um, and to answer your question just about how kind of guys take it in stride overall, I think most guys are aware of, of the business side and the numbers side, like you said, especially relief pitchers. You know, we saw Justin Brule come down a number of times last year, and it's not because of a lack of performance in the big league level. It's because they needed a fresh arm. 
and they needed someone new in that bullpen, and he had options and others did. And that's sometimes what a lot of it comes down to, is who has options and who does not. Um, I, I think it's a rare, you might see it once a year, where a guy gets sent down that's really an eyebrow raiser. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we're not privy to as well. Um, Bobby Miller, we saw him very briefly in spring training last year. And of course, everyone was getting excited. And I know he got moved to AAA towards the end of last season. And the ERA was went up a little bit. Now, is that normal when we see uh, pitchers going, changing levels? And what are you seeing in Bobby Miller? Well, I think so, and especially when you're coming up to the PCL, which is notoriously a hitter-friendly league, and you know, you're going to have to make starts in Albuquerque and El Paso and Las Vegas and Salt Lake and Reno and places like that. Um, but Bobby Miller, I mean, he certainly looks the part, that's for sure. Uh, you know, that's, that's the way you want him to look as a major league starting pitcher and, and all that, and, and Bobby and, and Gavin Stone as well. You know, when they did come to Oklahoma City, it was near the end, and, and they were on you know some workload management and, and workload restrictions as well. But uh, you know, uh, he had a couple of really great performances. One was was at home, I believe, in his, his second AAA start. You know, seven strong innings, an important game against uh, El Paso. Had fourteen strikeouts in a game at Round Rock including the final eight straight, uh, 14, only the third player in our team's you know, history since moving into its current ballpark in 1998 with 14 or more strikeouts in a game. Um, so, yeah, and I think the, the another reason why the numbers went up was because of those workload management. He wasn't on an every five-day schedule, you know, moving forward. And sometimes – you understand why they're doing it for the players' health and long term, but for these players and pitchers who are so routine oriented, the kind of now going for every five, six days, you know, you're going to start to being a little bit more sporadically. There's going to be some rust you have to shake off in between each start and things of that nature. So uh, it'll be great to see him, you know, whether it's with us, whether it's in the major leagues, like on a, on a more set regular schedule, you know, at the beginning of next season. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, you know, we have a theory here on the show that 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 load management, so to speak, that the Dodgers are are now famous for, I think might have cost Julio Urias the Cy Young Award this this past year. But you brought up something that's very interesting that I didn't really think about this fact that, you know, they they're making them go maybe every sixth day as opposed to every fifth day. How much is that a co contributes to their lack of efficiency or being, you know, a productive start for them? I don't think anyone goes out to the mound, you know, thinking, well, this is my only start in a week and I don't have to worry about being efficient. I think every starter, it's in their DNA to go as deep as possible. And we've seen plenty of times where a guy had a moderate – low pitch count or innings and was very efficient and still came out of the game just because that was the plan set in place by by the organization and it is what it is um so I, I don't think that necessarily affects them in, in terms of that i think like you said they're just so routine based for us in the minor leagues where they made the schedule changes a couple years ago where you're playing basically one six game series every week and then you have the day off on Monday. Well, a lot of the time that didn't mean that 
that if you pitch Tuesday, you would also start on Sunday. Uh, sometimes it didn't mean that as well, uh, but a lot of times it did. So obviously there's not a, a, they don't feel there's a huge difference between, I think, having four days off or potentially five days off in between starts um, and, and, you know, trying to shy away from maybe having one guy start twice. But um, I know there were some, I know there were, I think, the lower levels when someone was on that Tuesday-Sunday schedule. There, there would be some limits on that on that Sunday start, but but that's not something guys are thinking about just from being around them. And, and I know that there are times where, say, I, I remember specifically on a multiple occasions for Ryan Pepio when he was with us this year that the coaching staff knew he was on a, a very short pitch count. I mean, we're talking one, two, three innings, but they never told him. You know, because of that, they don't want a guy to go out there and know, well, I have a, this amount. I'm going to maybe try and do too much in that compressed time frame. So you just let them try and, and attack it like a normal start. And, and when the time is up, the time is up. Uh, you mentioned someone that I think everyone was surprised uh, by last year, and that's Gavin Stone. Uh, I think the the fact that he climbed up so quickly through the minor league system last year is what had everyone surprised. Is that more he just developed later, or is that more a tribute to the Dodgers development system that they were able to unlock something in this guy? I think it's both because, you know, he's not a very big guy. You know, he's about six foot, six foot one, and, and doesn't have a, a ton of muscle on him. So a chance for him to, you know, to get another year stronger. Um, you know, his numbers were, were pretty good his first year as well. And, you know, coming out of a smaller college program. And and when we look back on, on the 2020 draft, uh, he might end up, granted it was only five rounds, he might end up being one of the, the bigger steals of that draft, second to last pick of that entire draft. And, um, I think, it, again, it's part of it from him getting stronger, the velocity going up, just continuing to refine his pitch mix, especially his changeup. His changeup has turned into a, a really good weapon as well. Um, but, you know, there's something inside him, you know, that, that sometimes you can't qualify. And one of the field coordinators to quiet, quiet swagger. You know, he's not, you know, necessarily when he strikes a guy out, going to pound his chest or anything like that. Hey, and I have nothing against that. I don't want it to seem like that. But um, he knows he's good. And I think he's gaining more confidence as well, especially when, you, you know, you start the year at high A, you go through double A and in triple A. He had one bad inning is really all it boiled down to for him. It was one bad inning and that happens. Um, and, and it involved some defensive blunders behind it as well, but just kind of spiraled out of control after that. But yeah, he was so impressive uh, without a doubt should have been the organization's minor league pitcher of the year. Really a lot of fun watching him, especially his last couple, you know, starts of the season. Uh, yeah. He's, he's definitely a fun one to watch and, you know, talking with scouts, they, you know, they don't think they say, you know, you watch Miller and you watch stone, you can watch him on back to back days and it's a coin flip over which one you'd rather have. Oh, wow. Uh, that's very encouraging news. Uh, let me ask, there's a name that is, it, it, those guys that I just asked you about seem to be the ones on everybody's list that everybody's looking forward to seeing in spring training to see how they perform. But there's another guy that doesn't get looped into the those that group of guys. And it's a guy I'm curious about, and that's Jacob Amaya. Especially with the current shortstop situation on the big league club, 
What can you say about Jacob Amaya? Well, for his first couple of months with Oklahoma City, it was a struggle offensively. Um, but he still was drawing walks. He still was, you know, having long at bats. Um, but as the season went on and we got into that final month of the season, there was more solid contact. Uh, there was, you know, more of him, you know, as he would say, just, just getting back to his game. I think the line he said to me was taking what was working in the cage and finally having it translate on the field as well. Um, so I, the at-bat quality was still pretty good, even though, you know, wasn't getting, you know, hits and, and the contact night, it might be great, but it, but it certainly did get better. So it maybe took him a little bit longer than some others to adjust to AAA. And, hey, look, AAA is a hard level to play at. You know, you're facing guys who have big league time for the first time. You know, you're facing everyone else's, you know, top prospects as they're getting ready to make their big league debut. Or the guys we talked about earlier were they're only in AAA just because they need a spot at the big league level and they had options remaining. So AAA is really good level. Let's I always feel that for fans who aren't who aren't really big hardcore baseball fans, that's kind of a big misnomer that, well, it's AAA. Obviously, it's not as good as the major leagues. I'm not saying that, but it is still a very hard level to play at and be successful at. I think in terms of you know what you hear about Amaya is his defense as well, and uh, you know he's one of those players where I, I think sometimes the the more difficult play can come easier than the routine play for him. And he's still a really young player. You know he signed out of high school and and all that stuff, and and he'll continue to get better. And I remember talking with one scout this year who really has watched him over the years and, and didn't even think he'd, he'd become the player he has now. So he's outseated expectations, I think, from maybe some others in other organizations as well. So you you see these guys every day. Who do you think next year we will be talking about? Is there somebody on there that hasn't we haven't discussed yet that you think this is somebody we got to keep an eye on because – He's going to make some noise. You know, I don't want to co- take a cop out, but I think we mostly covered it. I will give you a couple maybe off the radar guys that, that you could see in, in the big leagues at some point, one position player and, and one pitcher. I think from a position player side, uh, Drew Avens, who, you know, is should he make the big leagues at any point in his career, he would become the third consecutive 33rd round pick of the Dodgers to make the big leagues. It was Zach McKinstry in 16, Brett DeGus in 17, who got to the big leagues uh, after he was taken to the rule five. And then Avens, if he is able to get to the big leagues. Um, the best way I can, I can, you know, compliment Drew Avens is a line from our manager, Travis Barbary. We're a better team when he's on the field. We're in the bet. We're a better team when he's in the lineup. You know, he was the team's primary leadoff hitter, had a 50 game on base streak at one point. You know, he doesn't have the eye-popping power. You know, he's about as big as I am, maybe a little bit bigger. Uh, but he's a good runner, good defender, and especially now with some some new rules of the major leagues where there is going to be more of an emphasis on, on speed in the game. He's someone I could see not playing every day, but I think now that all teams have are required to have at least four position players on the bench with a universal DH – you know, it's a lot easier to keep a guy on the roster and in the big leagues when they might only see the field a couple times per week. I mean, we saw that with Hanser Alberto this past season at the big league level. Um, so Avens, I think, is is someone who 
I would not be surprised if he got up and, and was on in the major league roster. And I don't know, but guys in the organization really like him as well. And then the pitching side reliever who came to us uh, for the final month of the season, Nick Robertson, uh, just basically fastball slider combo does have a, a change up as well. But, you know, bigger guy, college draftee in 2019. He's a guy I thought could have been, could have gone in the major league phase of the rule uh, five draft this past year, because he's kind of a, the fits that more typical rule five profile, you know, reliever with, with a good mix and, and that you can refine. So I think anyone else worth keeping an eye on uh, moving forward in the next season. I want to touch base on the fact that you wear multiple hats in in the minor league. I mean, we hear all the struggles that players go through in the minor leagues, eating McDonald's or, or whatever, not having enough money to pay for rent, sleeping on couches. But on the other side, you guys also have to pick up a lot of slack. You guys don't have the resources that a big league club. How do you manage being the director of communications and then also calling play by play for all the games? I like to tell people, look, I'm not, uh, I'm not a doctor or surgeon. Nobody's life is in my hands. You know, I'm not solving the world problems, but it's, it is a, a difficult job and it is a job. It's a lot of fun. I love it. If I didn't, I'd be wasting a lot of my time. But but it is a job. And I think for us, that, that we, myself, and you know, our department, it's myself, uh, Lisa Johnson. I want to make sure I give a special shout out to her. I've been with the organization 10 years. She's been uh, with us and working with me for nine years now. And then we have someone who will work for us on a seasonal basis as well. So, you know, we're seeing overseeing all the, the daily baseball information communications, you know, the game notes, the rosters, stats, lineups, all that stuff. In terms of social media and the website, if it's baseball related, you know, it's going to come from our department. And then, like you said, the broadcasting as well, which, which uh, again, takes a lot of time and preparation every single day. Um, so people ask me how I do it, and the best answer I have is you just do it. You just find a way to do it. Um, and it is really weird in terms of kind of my life in general. You break down a calendar year where it's two very distinct six months periods of the year for me. Um, but during the year, it's a lot of work, you know, whether it's interview requests, you know, check in with player development, check in with our coaching staff in terms of the roster movement and things like that, because ultimately our responsibility to, to send those in to the other teams and, and minor league baseball and our league and, and all that stuff. Um, and then just a lot of stuff that, that gets thrown your way that, that, that keeps it fun, spices things up for sure. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's, you just kind of do it. And I'm sorry, that's, that's not really a great answer. Um, but I, I just don't know really any other way than, than to just get it done. And, you know, sure, you sacrifice a few hours of sleep. I will tell you this, it's a lot easier now, though, than it was pre-2000, I guess, 21, when they shifted to this different schedule. Uh, where you know that every Monday you have no game. Say there's a big difference between a day off and a day with no game uh, because a lot of time we're traveling on that day and you're always looking to get ahead for the next day uh, because Tuesday, that first day of the series of the, the work week, if you will, that's always the busiest day. There's a, tends to be the most roster movement that day. Either you're at home for the first time, you're at a different road location for the first time. There's always going to be the most stuff that you have to get done on, on Tuesday. So we try and get a lot done ahead of, ahead of uh, Tuesday on Monday. 
Um, but yeah, that has just made such a huge difference as, as before where you were playing 144 games in, in 152 days, which was just insanity. And I don't know how we did it as long as we did it in hindsight. Uh, so so it's it's a little bit better now than it was in the past. Uh, something I, I want to touch bases with you that I feel is not getting enough attention and should get more attention is the labor talks with the minor leaguers. I feel for the first time, I mean, maybe ever, maybe minor leaguers are starting to get a little more I, 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 rights is, is not the right word, but it, it seems like we're we're starting to give them a little more of what they deserve. What can you tell us about the labor talks with the minor leaguers? I wish I could tell you more. I have the same curiosities that you do, so much in the fact that a couple weeks ago, I submitted a question to Ken Rosenthal's podcast on The Athletic about this exact thing. And he did address it, not very in-depth, other that it's going on and it's happening and, and people don't expect to, to have any big snags. Um, I did hear from some folks also in our front office who were at the winter meetings recently. Um, the general consensus is, again, that it's happening, that if there is going to be anything big negotiated, it would be for 2024, maybe not as much 2023. There also seems to be a pretty big understanding that, in theory, yes, the players could strike for, for 2023 at the beginning of the season, but there wouldn't be a lockout under any circumstances. It's It sounds like that, you know, kind of you always heard leading up to the major league lockout when it expired. Well, they can just continue to, they don't have to strike or have a lockout. They can operate under the terms of the old agreement. It seems like if there is not an official codified agreement by time spring training and people will start to report that, that there would be consensus for that. But um, I, yeah, I, I'm just as curious as you are and wish I knew more. So I, I know, I guess it all depends on the organization, but there have been more organizations that have been working with housing, right, and getting housing paid for these players. I mean, to me, that seems like the least they could do, right? Oh, absolutely. I think so. And it's just this, when you're someone in, who might be an organizational player where you know, you're in high A one week, okay, we need someone to fill in for a week or two at AAA, um, or especially when you get to AAA, when a lot of these guys, you know, they have wives, they have kids. Um, and it's just one less thing they have to worry about when they're trying to not only advance their career on the field, when they're trying to perform on the field, you know, doing everything they need to do off the field in terms of you know, pregame prep, working out, taking care of their bodies, having a quality place to sleep. Of course, we've seen so much more now made of sleep as it should be the kind of in, in sports in the world and how important the issue is of resting and sleeping and recharging the body is um that you're not sleeping on an air mattress in a random apartment with five other guys or anything like that that, that you do have a, a reliable place to, to rest your head at the end of the day and like i said it, it, playing baseball pro baseball is hard enough as it is um it's very competitive obviously you know, it's something where you have to prove your worth basically every single day. So if there's one less thing that you have to worry about off the field, it's a big win. Well, uh, what we do here, uh, Alex, on the Bleed Loves podcast, we like to refer to ourselves as the Cadenesada because we just like to hang out and, and and chat with our guests. So this is a segment called our kickback questions. So I have sure. some qu quick questions for you. 
Um, first of all, you are from St. Louis, is that correct? That is correct. So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did you grow up as a Cardinals fan? And are you old enough to remember the 1985 NLCS? Yes, I did grow up a Cardinals fan. No, I am not old enough to remember the 1985 NLCS, but um, my Dad is also a huge Cardinals fan, and and he was actually at the game where Ozzie Smith at the famous home run. <laughs> so let me ask you this: Does your dad ever give you grief for working for the Oklahoma City Dodgers? Not at all. I'm very fortunate to have some very supportive parents, and um, Cubs organization might be a little bit different. <laughs> uh, but no, I. I and I think some you you know you're a big baseball fan. You and, and the rest of your crew and, and the listeners are, are obviously big baseball fans. Um, but the average person, you know, they ask me if I'm still a Cardinals fan, and I tell them no. They're shocked. Um, you know, it's just you, when you have this kind of job. Obviously, you're a fan of, of who you work for. Uh, you're also a fan of people more so than teams. You know, because you're able to make a lot of relationships along the way and. And the diaspora will eventually spread itself out across the industry and, and things like that. So, um, and now, especially that when the reformation of, of the different leagues, you know, we had a couple of years ago and we don't play Memphis. So we don't play a Cardinals team anymore. I, I don't even have a pulse as to really what's going on in, in that organization uh, on a day-to-day basis. Thank you for sparing my feelings and saying the Ozzie Smith home run and not the Jack Clark home run. I'm still working on that, the therapy on that. Well, I, I, that is one of, I feel one of the classic moments, though, is seeing Pedro Guerrero just slam his. Oh, why did you go there, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> so l- let me ask you this. I got another one for you. Uh, you seem to have a very eclectic taste in music. How do you become yeah. a fan of Yacht Rock? And then 80s, 90s, hip-hop, and R&B. How, how, do you mix, how do you mix those two genres? Well, the second category is just really that, that was the, the, a reflection of the time of my youth growing up and in the environment I grew up in and, and stuff like that. Yacht Rock? I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I, I think there's a lot of songs that, that you hear from time to time that, that you just kind of heard over the years and, and all that. And, and sometimes you just want some more chill, you know, chill kind of music and, and things like that. So, so I enjoy, you know, the Sirius XM Yacht Rock Station, although I wish they had a little bit more variety on it. Um, but I think that's also just kind of one of those fun things I like to, like to throw in there as well. Are you for public yachts? I've never even thought about that or really even heard that question before. So I really don't even know how to answer. Uh, where I live right now, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of lakes here close by in Oklahoma, but I don't know if you'd be able to take a yacht, rent a yacht anyway. Very well. Uh, so do you have, were you inspired by any, being a broadcaster, were you inspired by any particular broadcaster? You know, this wasn't a job that I necessarily thought about when I was growing up. Um, you know, I went to school, I think, with the thought of becoming a sports or news TV or newspaper reporter. But after taking some of those more traditional journalism classes in college, figured it probably wasn't the best fit for me and was doing this kind of stuff really just as a hobby for fun on the side. And 
and kind of that's how I kind of found my way into doing it professionally. Um, it was always one of those things where I guess I thought that, hey, I, it'd be a cool job, but I didn't even know, like, how, how do you even do that <laughs> to begin with? I had no idea. Um, and eventually I found out, but, but that's because of that. I just never really gave it much thought when I was, when I was a young kid or, or anything like that. So in terms of influences, I don't know if I necessarily had any influences, of course, you know, just growing up, like we were talking about earlier, there was always a baseball game, it seemed, on on TV or on the radio, you know, growing up, uh, you know. So I, I think just being around the game and, and having an appreciation for some of those guys, there's not necessarily one person I, I kind of point to from growing up. There's a lot of people that I admire now, for sure. Um, but I, I don't think there was anyone where it's like, oh, I want to be the next so-and-so. Okay. Um, the... Uh... So we're going to end the show the way we always end the show. And we are about the Dodgers here on the podcast. We're also about LA, but we're also about taco culture. Um, we end the show with this question. Before I end it real quick, though, I do want to ask you, what is the absolute worst minor league town that you had to stay in? Some would argue it's for the team I used to work for, the High Desert Mavericks out there in, in Victorville, California. That was my first job out of school. Um, I didn't know any better because, like I said, it was, it was my first job. Um, I'll put it this way. I don't, I don't want to completely drag anyone through the mud, but <laughs> the place I am glad that we no longer visit and play games at that, that we had for several years when I started here in Oklahoma City is Colorado Springs. Um, I'll leave it at that. So what what was it about that town? Is it the, uh, there's just nothing to eat there? Is it just the weather? Well, the ballpark was built in, I think, the mid or late 1980s and was not touched after oh. that. <laughs> okay. Uh, the high altitude, which led to high scoring games and um, the facility, there the ballpark really wasn't close to the hotel. I, yeah, it just was not a pleasant <laughs> place to go and a place I, I don't want to say I dreaded going to. Oh, and the fact that the travel is not easy either. You have to fly into Denver and then bus another hour or so plus to, to Colorado Springs and, and all that stuff. Um, again, I, I don't really shed many tears that, that we, we no longer have to play games there. Thank you for that perspective. So here we go. Final question. Um, we're about taco culture. So here, I, I don't know how many trips. I mean, you were in Victorville. I don't know how many trips you made to L.A., but we want to know what is your favorite taco and where do you go to get that taco? I mean, can you get good tacos down in Oklahoma City? You can. Um, Oklahoma City, at least as of a few years ago, sixth fastest growing uh, Hispanic Latino population in the U.S., um, south side of the city is, is predominantly Hispanic as well. Um, so yeah, there are definitely some, some spots you can go get some, some good tacos. Um, I'm not a picky either. I will eat just about anything. Um, so I like the kind of tacos and this is going to, you're going to have to help this gringo out from, you know, getting <laughs> to the word I want to get to. But the kind of tacos where the meat is really like grazed or stewed for a long time, birria? Uh, stuff like that. So yeah, like birria is one of them. Or if it's just like a, a you know slow roasted green chili pork, 
stuff oh, like okay. that. All right. Um, or slow-roasted carnitas or something, you know, barbacoa, stuff like that. Oh, uh, wow. Those are things that I, that I tend to lean towards. Um, and when I'm out on the West Coast, definitely try and, try and get my fill of fish tacos, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm easy to please. I like all tacos. A couple of spots that I like going to around here. One is called uh, Los Cavales, which, again, like I said, their, their green chili pork is pork Verde's phenomenal. And then there's a place where um, I don't know if I want to call it a little bit more Americanized, but it's called Big Truck Tacos. Um, but they've got a good variety of stuff as well. Look, Alex, I want to give you credit. So we're not going to call you a gringo. You are no longer a gringo now. <laughs> okay. you, you're one of our carnales because let me tell you, you pulled barbacoa out. Yeah. All the guests that we have on the show, I could probably list in one hand how many people have mentioned barbacoa. And that's talking about Latino guests, right? And for you to pull the barbacoa card, very impressive, carnal. Very impressive. Well, I might impress you further. One of my... I, I don't want to say dreams, but one of the things I would love to do is eat barbacoa the way that, you know, it was traditionally prepared where it's cooked in the ground and, and all yeah. that stuff. So I, I, I'd love to do all that. Um, yeah, I, I, I consider myself, I don't consider myself a foodie. I just consider myself someone who likes really good food. And like I said, I'm not picky and love just trying all sorts of different food. And especially if we're in different places, whatever the, the local specialties are and, and kind of the local landmarks and, and stuff like that. And, and on the topic of, of carne asada, I just do want to I want to make sure that I mention one thing. Um, James Outman, the carne asada shirt you gave to him, he would wear it on the field like during BP and stuff quite frequently. So I wanted to make sure that you knew that. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you. We did not know that, but thank yeah. you very much. So there you have it, folks. When you guys go down to Oklahoma City to watch an Oklahoma City Dodgers Go say hi to our carnal, Alex Friedman. He is now a homie. He is a friend of the carne asada. So, and you let, hey, if you can, get him some barbacoa tacos. Bring him some barbacoa, you know, down in Oklahoma City. Alex, we want to thank you. Uh, we really appreciate all the knowledge that you, you dropped on us. I know with the Dodgers' lack of moves over here, everybody's panicking. But it seems like if these young guys pan out, the Dodgers are going to be pretty much covered, you know, for the foreseeable future. There's that, but I think this front office also deserves the benefit of the doubt. For those who are panicking, just remember who's in charge. You know, they didn't forget how to do their job all of a sudden. So you sense that panic then, huh, Alex? All the way out, even in Oklahoma City, you're getting that panic? I think when fans see... It's not just the, the top-tier guys, but some of the maybe more mid-level guys who aren't signing with the Dodgers. That's when it seems like the, you, can, you can feel the social media panic start to, start to come over a little bit. All right. Well, thank you very much. Once again, uh, Alex, where can our fans follow you, our listeners follow you on the social media? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, which is where I'm, I'm probably the most active, more so during the baseball season than, than the offseason. But uh, at AZ Friedman, A-Z-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. I don't post a ton. And when I do, it is usually just ballparks and stuff like that. So if you're <laughs> curious about that sort of stuff, uh, my username over there is, is Friedman's Voice. And then uh, we'll plug our, our regular website, okcdodgers.com, but also myself and Lisa, who I referenced earlier. We write more feature-type stories 
And our secondary website, which is called Beyond the Bricks, is a, a nod to our, our home at Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark. Uh, and that's medium.com slash beyond the bricks. Real quick, before I let you go, how often are you confused for the other freedmen? <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's funny that you say that. They're, it doesn't happen too often, but it's funny like when, you know, I might tweet something out and someone just goes on a rant about the front office that has nothing to do with what I just tweeted. And I said, yeah, you're looking for the other A. Friedman, not this A. Friedman. Um, and I think there are some times where it's funny. One of the players told me this this year. Um, like I said, Andrew spells his last name slightly different than I do. Yeah. Um, but we have, you know, like a, a, what, a team WhatsApp group chat that, you know, that's for logistics and, and stuff like that. And, you know, since I help out a little bit with the travel, when we're on the road and whatnot, you know, that's usually when I'll, I'll put something in there. And he said, there's sometimes he does a double take when he sees my name come <laughs> up and, and, and all that stuff. There we go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A big thank you to Alex Friedman for joining us. No, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. And once again, a big thank you to Alex Friedman, the communications director and broadcaster for the Oklahoma City Dodgers or OKC Dodgers. So, Babyface, uh, do you feel better now that we basically got a mini scouting report from Alex uh, on the guys that we might have a chance of? of I mean, for sure, we're going to see Vargas uh, next year. But those other uh, guys, what, what do you think? Do you feel better? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see some of those guys, you know, come up and and see what what the talks have been, you know, because these are these are some of those those guys that we've heard, you know, for a couple years now that, you know, when it comes to trade talks, these are the guys that are like, no, we're not trading that guy, we're not trading that guy, we're not, that, we're waiting on them to see what they could do. Kind of like same thing we had, you know, a few years back when you hear stuff like Seeger and Bellinger and Will Smith, you know, those talks. You know, those guys, nope, we're going to bring them up and see what they do. So now I think it's time for these guys, you know, Bobby Miller, Vargas, you know, Altman, you know, Michael Bush, to see what they're going to do and you see how they're going to pan out. You know, we, we got to, like you said, you know, there's only one way to know, right? They got to come up and they got to play. So right now when I think it's it's the way things are going, I think it's it's the best, you know, perfect time to do it. So, you know, excited to see what they're going to, what they're going to bring this year. Yeah, and I just want to clarify for those listening, you know, why didn't we bring up Diego Cartaya? Diego Cartaya has not been in AAA. Uh, we only focused on the guys that were in AAA because Alex had seen these guys play. Um, there was a couple of takeaways from that thing that I thought was really interesting. And the number one, and I think it's a good thing to remember, and that is if we give these guys playing time from the beginning of the season on, towards the middle of the season or even a month or two in, if it's not panning out for these guys, if these guys aren't working out, if they're struggling, they just might become trade candidates. And I can't stress this enough. I know everyone is losing their mind right now because the Dodgers don't seem to be making big moves. It looks like maybe the Dodgers' big moves might be during be made at the trade deadline in season. And so I, I agree. Let's Let's give these guys a chance. It seems like... As he, you know, referenced many times, these guys are only in AAA because there's no room for them in the major leagues. Well, the Dodgers now made room for these guys in the major leagues. So now I'm curious to see how does Vargas, uh, you know, it looks like Vargas is the leading candidate to get the most time. 
But I'm curious to see if they give Altman time, if they give Michael Bush time. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really surprising to hear from him was to say that Gavin Stone might be at the same level as Bobby Miller. Now, I know we started hearing a lot about Gavin Stone last year, but it always seemed like Bobby Miller is going to be the stud. Bobby Miller, Bobby Miller, Bobby Miller. For him to say that a scout told him that, take your pick, either Gavin Stone or Bobby Miller, that might be a good problem to have. Do you remember, Babyface, back in the day where it was going to be Kershaw and... Um, Oh my God, why am I? Billingsley. That Kershaw and Billingsley were going to be the mainstays of the roster, right? Maybe now, and I know everybody likes to use this comparison, Koufax and Drysdale. Could Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller turn into those guys? Could those guys, I mean, down the line, if these guys develop to be what we think they're going to be, that Dodger pitching staff is going to be... I mean, yeah, Kershaw will, Kershaw will probably be gone, but you're going to talk about, hopefully, Julio Diaz, Walker Bueller, Bobby Miller, Dustin May, and Gavin Stone. I, I mean, the future's looking right, but that's if these guys pan out. If these guys don't pan out, oh yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. The other thing he said is make sure we give Andrew Friedman the benefit of the doubt, that we need to give this front office the benefit of the doubt. I, like Dodger fans, I, I don't know how good Dodger fans are going to be about giving the benefit of the doubt. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, it seems like Jacob Amaya isn't close. Uh, did you get that same vibe? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, his his defense is 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 there, but, you know, he's got he's to work on the offense. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, AAA probably isn't the easiest, you know, league to to actually go out and hit and you know be a 300 hitter or whatever because you are facing guys that are rehabbing from other teams you you are facing the guys that are on the cusp of getting you know to the show so it is it is probably a lot harder to to get adjusted to that i mean but it is the stuff he's going to be seeing if he moves to the next level so i think you know we'll see where he's at you know this year i mean i don't know if he might get you know an invite to big league camp you know, maybe Dodgers take a look at him. You know, uh, you know, on the big league side. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, a lot of stuff's gonna get answered. You know, in the next month or so, as we start getting closer to to spring training. Um, one thing, real quick, on Gavin Stone, he was up with the team at the end of the season. You know, when they had the week off, and they were going through the inter squad games and stuff. Gavin Stone was up, and he was actually pitching. So, the, you know, that shows kind of what the Dodgers are thinking of him. That you know, he he might be right there. He's ready to take that next step as well. That's, it's very exciting. I mean, I feel a little better after talking to him, but I mean, there is still a huge question mark. I mean, is this going to translate? I mean, we've seen, I always use for Dodger fans who are old enough to remember Billy Ashley. Billy Ashley was supposed to be the next best thing and, and it didn't happen. Um, but real quick to cover just some uh, recent Dodger news. What are your thoughts on the signing of Noah Syndergaard? Now that we have Thor, do you, do you feel better about our starting pitching? I mean, when I, when I initially thought, okay, Noah Syndergaard, right. We knew who Syndergaard was, you know, five, six years ago, right. He was just his power pitcher, just like throwing 102 miles an hour. Right. And then he got hurt. So he was out a year. He had Tommy John. So last year was his first year coming back. And usually that first year is still kind of it's still kind of slow for a pitcher. So we'll see how going into this year, uh, you know, he looks. But it, it looks like he's kind of gotten away from just being that hard thrower. 
you know, kind of going more with the sinker slider, kind of, kind of that deal. Um, and Phillies actually, when he got traded to the Phillies, they didn't use him as much in the playoffs. It didn't seem like, right? I don't, no. I don't remember them even using him in the World Series, did they? I don't no, know. If they I, I, I don't Series. remember yeah. that. No. So that that kind of surprised me. I was kind of wondering where where he was at, you know, during those games. But, but I mean, if if it's one thing that the Dodgers do, right, is is kind of resurrect careers and kind of put these guys on 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 the right path. And I think that's probably something he saw. He you know he saw like, hey, Tyler Anderson got a three year deal pitching one season in LA. Andrew Heaney got a two year deal pitching one season in LA. And Andrew Heaney was hurt, right? And he yeah. Andrew, Andrew Heaney wasn't like extraordinary like you know top of the line i mean you know he had his problems with the home runs but he had a good strikeout you know he was striking out a lot of guys right so he pitched fairly well when he did pitch so i think Syndergaard seeing that he said hey you know what if i go to la i get with what these guys are telling me to do you know i'm gonna probably be able to sign you know a, a a longer contract at the end of this year so i think he's trying to prove himself as well he's betting on himself so it's gonna be good hopefully you know what you know, and with, you know, with Pryor, you know, we can see a totally different Syndergaard this season. I would not be surprised if this scenario played out where Syndergaard ends up winning 15 games, having a, se- a season ver- similar to what Tyler Anderson had. But my concern is we are like gluing and pasting, taping this this pitching staff together. My concern is what happens once we get to the postseason. And that's why I feel like the trade deadline is going to be huge for the Dodgers. So, I look, I get why Dodger fan is upset about this, especially when you see other teams are, are loading up. Uh, but, look, the trade deadline, we might be thanking Friedman at the trade deadline that he didn't make crazy signings. And then he makes deals that will put the Dodgers over the top because I think what we, yes, last year was a good reminder of we need to be playing well towards the end of the season. So if if the Dodgers get hot at the end of the season, that might be better for us. Real quick before I end the show, I want to get your thoughts on the Carlos Correa contract to to the hated ones. I, I got to tell you this right now. 13 years to me seems absolutely ridiculous. And if the Dodgers are losing these guys because of the length of years, makes me a little nervous about, you know, how much Otani's going to want, not in terms of money, but in terms of years. I, I'm glad the Dodgers, I mean, you already have it with Mookie Betts, but I, I'm glad the Dodgers are not. I mean, that should, look, the money's not the issue. The issue's going to be he's taking, he's going to be taking up a roster spot at the end of that contract. And then you're going to have these situations. What, what do you think about Correa's deal? Yeah, I mean, I think we mentioned this uh, a couple of episodes back. I mean, if there was a place for Correa to go, right? I mean, <laughs> definitely landed in San Francisco, the right place for the Dodgers to continue to hate on this guy. And now they're going to do it for for 13 years, right? I mean, yeah, to me, the, the the length of those contracts, you know, 13 years that he got, you know, Bogart's got 11 in San Diego. These guys are going into their 40s, right? Yeah. And, and I know they get it. I mean, I'm sure the teams get it, right? These guys will probably have, you know, maybe – four or five years where they're still pretty good. And then, you know, maybe two, three years where they're kind of going on the decline. And they know at the end of that, they're just going to have to eat up those, those last couple of years, you know, cause they're going to probably not be as good or maybe even plain. But I mean, that's, and that's kind of the danger, right. Too. Cause like uh, we're talking with this Dylan, like you don't want a lot of those contracts on your books. Like you're going to have, you know, 
38, 39 year old, you know, Bogarts, and then you might have like, you know, Project might have Bogarts and even Machado rehabs. You know, you're going to have these guys at the end of their career and you're paying, you know, $70 million in a couple, you know, three players like that. So that's that in the long term, right? Is, is dangerous you know we'll see how that pans out but you know we'll, we'll we'll see i mean just you know i'm glad the dodgers stayed away from contracts like that um but it, like i said it, it's going to be tough if guys are looking for you know what i want 10 years i want 11 years yeah it's going to be it's going to be tough to get some of those big names to la and again that's why i think these minor league guys are it's really important that these guys succeed uh, i'm rooting for them i hope these move these guys pan off because if it doesn't, in order to get like superstars, I, I think it's going to be hard because they're all going to want, you know, 10 years plus deals. And look, we've already seen it before. We saw the pool host deals. Those deals don't age well. And for me, it's about taking up roster spots. You don't want someone taking up a roster spot where we could get someone else that could help the team. So that being said, uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, once again, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell them to subscribe to the Bleed Lows podcast. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can see all our past episodes. You can see our beautiful, lovely faces. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Yo ha sido su servidor, Juan Ramirez, de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode has been brought to you by Ben Online, where the game starts. Adios. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.